Is this the reading room? Yes, I'm Saad Mansoor. And I'm Travis Howard. This is Reading Room Talk. Thank you for pressing play. Welcome, welcome. Thank you. Thank you all for tuning in again. Again, we have a special one. We got the number one Mamo Shata, Dr. Jason McCullough. <laughs> How are wow. you today? Wagwan, Wagwan. I don't, I don't know if I deserve those accolades. <laughs> Thank you so much for that kind, warm introduction, literally and figuratively. Oh man, yes, we appreciate sir. you making the time, man. We for sure. Definitely, definitely, man. So tell us, tell us, man. You're a superstar, but you went to medical school, and you got to tell us what was uh, your toughest class or rotation in medical school? Ooh, man, so many to choose from. Um, mm. <laughs> I think at the very top would be a, a specific surgery rotation. Um, mm, not and, uncommon answer, right? Oh, is it right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> This one in particular was interesting. It was non-trauma emergency surgery. And oh, okay. I'm not exactly sure how I ended up on this rotation because it doesn't <laughs> seem terribly appealing, you know, prospectively or retrospectively. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was an interesting um, rotation nonetheless because it, it actually showed me that there was something worse than overnight call and i i can imagine <laughs> i can imagine there being like a worse predicament than you know the q3 call that we sometimes endured and yeah oh that's but, interesting but interestingly <laughs> yeah interestingly this rotation had no call at all and on the surface mm. i thought that that would have been a good thing um except <laughs> Every day or night, I should say, on this rotation, I got home after 2 a.m. I mean, oh, that's terrible. What? Tying up the previous day. <laughs> terrible. That's only, not good. <laughs> only to pre round at 5 a.m. And no. this continued for an oh. entire Yeah. So I. Um, Is this was this that, like the university at the main university? Was it like an outpatient? Like, like no, no, what was it? Uh, like a hospital? The, this is a, the main university, and I'm, and I'm still processing what it means to be non-trauma emergency. Basically, what it, it boils <laughs> down to is any emergent circumstance that one doesn't involve trauma, obviously, from the title. Mm -hmm. But it's mostly acute bowel. So yeah, something yeah. that either rolls in the ED, um, mm -hmm. like an appy or something like that, or you know, one of the chronic patients in the ICU that they're worried about bowel obstruction. And then we would run into the ORs and run patients' bowels looking for, you know, obstructed, obstructed loops of bowel. And um, that's, that's what the rotation was. And that's a was, great point. That's, that's, that's actually great. Cause I remember during radiology residency, you know, you'd be reading these like, you know, CT small bowel obstructions at like 3 AM and mm -hmm. someone is waiting on the read and someone's doing it, you know, like looking to see what's going on. So Man, that that makes sense, man. And like, there's nothing worse than like, you know, waking up, going to your rotation, and like not knowing when you're coming home that night. Like, this that's that's just terrible feeling. So two, two a.m. I mean, you were at home for what three hours, if that, mm. every night. That's horrible. <laughs> that's exactly. Not good. It, it was it was incredible, and like I I'm still wrapping my mind around it to this day. Like how <laughs> how I survived that. Oh man. It seemed like a rotation that no one necessarily wanted to be on. There was no assigned attending or 
you know, there, there were there were residents assigned to the rotation, but it was yeah. kind of a grab bag of you know whichever attending was assigned a specific case. So it was it was a very mm. interesting and outlier experience. Uh, they basically just put everything terrible in the one rotation, basically. So. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Because then if you're not in the OR, you're probably rounding on very, very, you know, sick patients as well. So, you know, yeah. but that's good. You know what? Like, I think it's good to, like, have these rotations. And, like, if you had any interest in, like, surgery, you know, like, you need that, like, view of, like, what it's going to be like, you know? So I, I, I agree completely. I, I went into medical school thinking I would do some form of surgery. Yeah. And, yeah, uh, yeah. and this was a wake-up call. <laughs> or yeah. <laughs> yeah, almost literally a wake-up call. Now, let me let me ask you real quick. What uh, was there a particular form of surgery you're interested in doing? You know, I went in thinking cardiothoracic surgery and oh, for wow. a passing for a passing minute neurosurgery. Nice. Um, mm, very not cool. Not exactly sure how to explain those either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those are intense. Yeah, the those are intense. The, the organ systems were were of interest to me at the outset of med school. Yeah, but as you know, um, similar to radiology residency, you go mm -hmm. in and then you're exposed to, you know, so many things. Like being a kid in a candy store, you have so many options once you get there. Yeah, um, but know. it's important. It's important the to go through, though. Yeah, exactly. You gotta you gotta go through it because, like, you know, what you feel and think you're gonna do before is not the same when you're going through it and making a decision so that's so true man the exposure 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 is most yeah most so like is, the better off you'll be oh it's so important and, and it's important for people to know like to not have shame and like not choosing these things you know like if, if you need to switch your like what you're interested in it's okay that's you know right. like you know you kind of got to like fall into like whatever your lane is going to be because otherwise you'll choose something based on like not what you want and then you'll be unhappy in medicine which is not oh, not good so oh absolutely awesome. I love it, man. So take us back. So where, where are you from? Where did you grow up? And uh, yeah, how did you get interested in uh, sciences and medicine? Oh, man. So as you alluded to in the intro, um, I, was born <laughs> in, <laughs> I was born in Jamaica. And I read Yeah, man. So I, um, I was born in Jamaica and uh, I was born in Montego Bay, but I grew up in a kind of small, small rural town. Uh, mm -hmm. Or a more rural town, uh, Lucy, which is okay. on the west end, west end of the island. Um, if you're if you're going to Negril, you'll drive through the town that I grew up in. Um, Very cool. Okay. It's a, yeah, it's a busy place these days, so it's a little bit congested. So you you probably stop uh, because of traffic going through it. But uh, that's where I grew up, and it, it's where you know some of my most formative um, experiences happened as a child and then yeah. subsequent to that uh moved to miami florida mm -hmm. uh, and then i spent elementary through high school um in miami florida and then started bouncing around the map for undergrad and med school training oh, to your question, yeah to your question you know what got me interested in medicine i actually started out not terribly interested in medicine at all. I actually wanted to become an airline pilot. Uh, I was interested in aviation. Um, oh, very cool. Yeah, passing interest in aeronautical engineering. Nice. And, uh, yeah, very uh, interesting turn of events or <laughs> that brought me brought me to this point uh, in my life. But 
when yeah. I was in high school, yeah, when I was in high school, my um, my grandfather was suffering from prostate cancer, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, his case was one of you know the uncommon cases that you know progress to metastatic disease, and mm-hmm. we actually brought him up from Jamaica, and I felt incredibly um, tied to his case and his care. Uh, I was, you know, very hands-on with, you know, at that point he had lost mobility below his waist because of metastases to his spine. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. wow. Yeah, so I was, I was actually involved in, you know, taking care of him cleaning rotating and and transporting him to his uh radiation therapy treatments Um, so i i just got my license at that time so Mm -hmm. you know i was kind of lifting and transporting him by car to uh to to some of his treatments Uh, we brought him up like i mentioned from jamaica to miami at the time for these Mm -hmm. treatments and it was you know a real um exercise in frustration labor of love and and all of that you know tied into this entire experience for me absolutely uh, yeah like it it was a very frustrating experience because try as we might um it was obvious that uh we weren't going to turn the tides on this uh condition and Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. he he ultimately passed from it and this was around my sophomore junior year of high school and uh, it was around the time that we're applying to schools as well and like i'd mentioned i i was interested in aeronautical engineering at that time um you know my parents had encouraged me to get a degree in something as opposed to going straight to uh flight school so i thought well you know study aeronautical engineering and then like go train to be a pilot afterwards with my degree in hand Mm -hmm. so i was interested in um you know, those programs and, you know, the school that I was admitted to first was MIT, actually. Wow. Um, so the major accomplishment. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's what I thought at the time. I thought MIT was in Michigan, so I had no idea what school <laughs> this was, you know, where it was. Um, oh, but, yeah, I was completely out of it. I had no idea about this entire, you know, undergrad application process but yeah jason i want to just stop for a minute and and, um just talk about the impact of a sophomore in high school taking on taking care of your grandfather and seeing what it's like to take care of take care of a level going through an illness like that i mean Mm -hmm. the maturity maturity level it takes to be able to handle that and you know big prophecy i know people go through it but um, it, at that age, it had to be, it had to for in your life. I can hear it. And then, you know, I want to know what school you're going to, what high school you're going to where, you know, you're, you're getting accepted in the MIT and what that high school was like. This is a high school mm-hmm. in, in Lucy, correct? Yep. No, no, this is, this is in Miami, Florida. This time. Oh, okay, Miami. Okay, I got you. Wow. You had, you had come over from Jamaica to Miami. At what, what age would you say? I was seven at the time. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Okay, so elementary, yeah. That's awesome, yeah, man. That's, yeah, that's, that uh, that's big. I think, like, some people, you know, like, having – that's kind of a traumatic event to, like, have that happen during high school. And, right. You know, you know it can it can kind of affect people in a negative way, but you can grow from it. So it sounds like you, it kind of – like, in a way that you probably oh. think you grow. Absolutely. Abs- yeah, absolutely. Um, 
those kind of end of life experiences, I, you know, it makes things real for lack of a better word. Mm -hmm. Like it, mm -hmm. you, you don't have the luxury of, of hiding from it or putting it, you know, at the back of your mind, it's present. And it's, it's something that you are forced to be present with. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of contemplation, a lot of, you know, I remember standing at his bedside, you know, trying to instill some hope, you know, like mm -hmm. when, we took, when we took visits back to Jamaica, you know, he was driving us around and, you know, taking us to the beach and all this stuff. And I remember mm -hmm. conversations with him just, you know, saying that, you know, encouraging him that that's going to happen again, you know, when he gets back, he's going to drive us, you know, like yeah. he did. And yeah. you know, just trying to be uh, encouraging and, you know, give some sense of, uh, sense of hope. So yes, it, it, it was, it was incredibly formative. It was uh, a, a very real experience and, and one that made me contemplate my own existence and, and my own future. And, mm -hmm. uh, and it's what, it's what ultimately shaped my career path, you know, towards Absolutely, yeah. specifically it, toward a disease process that, you know, that, that he dealt yes. with. Full circle, exactly, exactly. Yeah. So, so you got into uh, Miami Institute of Technology, right? And then, yeah. what other school did you get into? <laughs> Just down the street from my high school. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so what other, what other schools are you considering? Yeah. So, what what ended up happening? Yeah. So I, you know, I, I kind of felt the groundswell of uh, support and admiration for you know this this early admission um, to MIT. And, um, you know, that's, that's kind of where I had, you know, my, my mind and heart set on to pursue some type of engineering, specifically aeronautical <laughs> engineering, something related to aeronautics. Yeah. And um, I'd applied to, I want to say six or seven other schools uh, out of state at the time. And this was at the encouragement of my college guidance counselor, you know, like I, alluded to before i was completely naive naive about this entire mm -hmm. concept you know, I, I knew my cohort um were going through it and you know this is like a big deal experience but you know maybe fortunately for me like i i hadn't invested too much thought into it until the time actually came you know maybe it's my no that's you know, a, that's a blessing that's a blessing because being able to focus on the process is super important because then um you know really you know the results will happen if you just focus so much on the process of getting the grades make sure your application is good and right. ended up happening for you so that's awesome yeah so so i applied uh, as it turns out i applied to a number of um ivy league schools based on the encouragement of my college counselor and i ended up getting into all of them, except the ones I, I didn't submit the uh, the last minute uh, essays for. I, Very cool. I, I believe Yale at the time had like some additional essays off of a common application that oh, man. I, uh, I was I was either too late to submit them, so I I can't remember if mm -hmm. I completed the application. Um, but uh, I, I, I got into a number of schools, and, and one of them was Harvard. And I remember the reaction on my parents' mm -hmm. face when I got that acceptance. And as soon as I saw the reaction, you know, there's, there, there wasn't anywhere else that I could feasibly go. <laughs> oh, wow. So I, I went to Harvard undergrad. Awesome. Um, awesome. Awesome. And, and that kind of changed my direction. Um, as well you know like i still had the opportunity to uh, 
Um, yeah, so you could do anything. The world's your oyster at that point. You have yeah, I could, I could pursue a degree exactly in engineering as well uh, because they are allied with um, with MIT. So you could do a joint degree. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at that time, you know, like I said, my my gears were already shifting towards you know medicine in a pre med track. So I ended up going to Harvard and, and pursuing a you know a degree in biology uh, with a focus on on being a pre med. Awesome. That's awesome. So let me let take us back real quick. So why did your parents originally leave Jamaica? Like, was it like for education for their kids or was it like a different reason that kind of, you know, that was, that was, that was a part of it, but there was an acute event, um, in 1988, uh, hurricane Gilbert struck the Island at, at the end of that year and it devastated the Island. Um, you know, the roof flew off of our house oh, wow. entirely yeah, during the storm. And wow. um, talking about being in a bunker, we were in like the one room in the house that was like covered by just a concrete. It just happened to be adjoining the carport and there was concrete overlying the room. So there wasn't like roofing material. So that was the one room that survived. And wow. we were hunkered down in this, uh, in this room and like peering out the window and watching other homes just, you know, be devastated. Yeah. That's, that's, wow. That's out of control. That is, that's great. Yeah. Apocalyptic. uh, Yeah. Absolutely. You know, I think my parents, uh, as a lot of Jamaicans at the time felt like the Island was going to struggle to recover from this because it was, it was devastating, devastating. And Mm -hmm. uh, we, we left the Island you know, shortly thereafter, I, I believe that storm was in October and we left uh, either by January or February of the following year. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Just around when I was turning seven, uh, we left. And so wow. they did always, you know, similar to a lot of immigrant parents, I think they always had at the back of my mind, their minds, you know, the education opportunities for their kids. So mm-hmm. um, that was, that was also a motivating factor, but, the acute uh motivating factor was that that storm yeah well, i was gonna say i mean that for you to like get into harvard i mean that's kind of like you know parents dreams when, like immigrant immigrant parents leave their home country to come to america to get their kids a better education like you getting into harvard like kind of like makes that decision very positive for them you know oh, so yeah. that's awesome that you know you're able to get in and go and uh you know make them super proud man That that's awesome well yeah thank you for that um and I think, and I hope they they are proud of it. Uh, I would say my parents um, definitely had expectations of all of us to, you know, myself and my siblings to to produce, you know, academically. Um, there there weren't necessarily hard driving parents that you know were overbearing by any stretch, but the expectation was there. Uh-huh. And that was a motivating factor for me. I was going to ask you, what do you owe your academic achievements? Your what do you owe them to? You know, like how'd you get there? Um, hmm. I wouldn't say it's any innate talent or gift that I have. I I think it's quite the opposite, actually. I, I think I was fortunate to to grow up in an environment that was. Um, was conducive to it. Like I, you know, my, my parents, first of all, set the expectation level. And, and that, that was something that, 
you know, I, I put on myself to, to meet or exceed those expectations. And then when, you know, when I did perform, right, like there's some positive feedback there, right? Like mm-hmm. they were overly celebratory, right? Like I didn't get any gifts or anything for good grades, but you know, the rare occasion that like it put a smile on my parents' face, like that was a, you know, a motivating factor. The gift know, in itself. Yeah. 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 yeah exactly. That's great. That's great um, yeah, I, I think I was fortunate to be raised in uh, an environment that, you know, espoused, you know, academic um, success, but but also fostered it and, um, you know, it, it made it um, possible for me. So that's what I was Yeah, it sounds like you had like a degree of autonomy that like, you know, you were able to like go out there and like, you know, kind of perform and, uh, you know, you felt like you felt like you knew. You, you knew- do at an early yeah. age so you're self-motivator awesome. for sure what, what what did your parents do oh so my dad he worked uh with the airlines actually so he started out with eastern mm-hmm. airlines and then migrated to american airlines he worked on the ground in customer service and my mom was a nurse okay and still still, still ah. is a nurse to day, actually wow yeah. Wow, so you had health and airplane in your future, either way. That's right. <laughs> I, had choices, I had two choices. Very cool, very cool. So tell us about Harvard. Uh, we like to ask, was it easy? Um, I wouldn't categorize it as such, especially as a, as a pre-med. Um, yeah, well, let me preface it. You know, me and Travis both went to Ohio State. So. We sure okay. did. Just, uh, yeah. it's not Harvard. It's, the, it's, the, it's a little different. You know, it's equivalent challenges. If you guys get to med school, I'm sure you face the similar, similar challenges. So Harvard, it, it was an incredible, awe-inspiring experience. Uh, and primarily, and, and the thing that like hits you almost immediately is how impressive the students are when mm-hmm. you get there like they they all have some type of incredible story to the point that i felt like i was the outlier right like i didn't have like yeah a massive, you know yeah I didn't, I didn't liberate slaves in a war-torn country or something like that you know like i <laughs> yeah i you know i just went to school and you know to your question earlier travis uh, i went to a public high school um, my graduating class was 660 people oh wow um, yeah so it was a large it was a large dade county you know public high school mm. uh, very so cool. yeah yeah um I, I wouldn't say it was resource rich by by any stretch but um mm. but, but yeah it too also <laughs> fostered uh in its own way academic achievement so so yes um it was a conducive environment of itself to, to have some measure of, you know, academic success, but, you know, back to undergrad, you know, when I got there, there was some very impressive uh, people there, just brilliant minds um, to the point that like, I sometimes or oftentimes felt inadequate, right? Like I, I didn't feel mm-hmm. like I met the bar. Like I often question why and how I was even there. Yeah, um, I'm sure. I'm sure. But, it, you know, just to think about the struggle your parents had and then their parents and their parents and how you were able to, to climb and get there. I mean, your, your story in a historical uh, from a historical reference is like, 
is amazing in itself. But here you are in this institution, and I, I don't know that a lot of us even think about that when we're, when we're <laughs> or maybe we think about it and we think, how did I get here? <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. It's a classic like imposter syndrome. You're there, you feel like you don't belong, but you do belong, and you're there, mm-hmm. and you're like in the classes with these people, and you're studying with them, and you're competing for like the grades. So, you know, yeah. you, you do belong to be there. You know, like that. That's 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 something like that was earned. It wasn't luck. Like you didn't just fall into Harvard. No, right. And and I think there's a micro environment within every institution, um, specifically the pre med environment, which makes it. Mm-hmm. Ultra, ultra competitive. Right? <laughs> other concentrations or majors at you know at Harvard or any other school necessarily has yeah. that. You know, and, and you guys know this well. So I, I wouldn't, I would imagine that experience, you know, between any of the institutions would be remarkably different. But, um, but yeah, it, it felt like there was uh, a step up in competition just based on being pre med. Yeah, um, of course, of course. That's uh, it's weird. Like the medicine people, we're funny people, man. Like some people are just they're out of their minds. So you know, you gotta kind of steer. You gotta steer clear. You got a way to like make it happen for yourself. So like, what did you do? Like, how did you like kind of get focused? And how did you stay like motivated? Like, stay pre med at Harvard? I feel like most people probably start pre med and then they kind of drop off. Yeah, yeah. As they told us, I think. In a, in a welcoming address by the, the president of the institution. Um, I can't remember where we were told this, but you know, they're like out of every three people interested in medicine, like there's only one standing at the, the time of graduation or I, I forget what the exact odds are, but the crazy. majority of- and, that's, and that's at Harvard, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah, so um, the chips are stacked against us from the yeah. outset. I, I don't know what resolve or what, what got me through it. I, I think there were some discipline things instilled, you know, from my parents, uh, or, or I get at least some value in hard work. And, and the only thing that I responded to adversity with was more hard work. That was the only, mm-hmm. the only thing that I could see to remedy it. Right. Like I, yeah i'd have to find some way to overcome you know this adversity by just working harder mm-hmm. and um, you know if it required staying up late at night to master a concept or you know to finish a problem set or to prepare for an exam then that's what i'd have to do granted you know in undergrad there's a lot of distraction right mm-hmm. like you're going through your own <laughs> social personal development so it's a lot yeah, going on yeah, you have to circumnavigate that too. Um, yeah. That was probably, you know, the, the prominent, you know, distraction, the social stuff outside of the classroom, right? Like, mm-hmm. like oh, that's becoming an adult at that time, you know. Oh yeah. So, so yeah, you're seeing a things, seeing a lot of things. But it sounds like you kind of came in mature. Like you kind of, you know, you had the experience in high school, and like you kind of were self-disciplined. So mm-hmm. like these are all like very important traits that some people don't have. You know, like, like they're like always being told what to do and they need to like, you know, like they just don't have that self-motivation. So that probably is the most important, you know, like key that you had was like the fact that like you responded to, you know, difficult times with hard work and not like looking well, for a shortcut. Well, I'm glad to hear that you, you know, observe <laughs> that. But I certainly didn't feel that. In fact, 
I, even to this day, I feel like I have a sense of delayed maturity and, and maybe it's related to medicine or the academic track mm-hmm. I've been on. Um, but I, I feel like there is a certain degree of delayed maturity, delayed gratification with, with the, um, super delayed. Yep. <laughs> arduous task of, you know, preparing for and training within medicine. Like you spend so much time in the books, you know, mm-hmm. in the libraries, just studying that life can easily kind of pass you by. And, and by life, I mean, you know, the other things that people would otherwise be doing, taking those steps, those necessary mm-hmm. steps, and adulting that you don't do because you're, you're busy in the books. So yeah. I've actually felt quite the opposite. And I'm not saying you're mischaracterizing me by any stretch, <laughs> but like, I, I, I feel like there's still a lot more uh, maturing that, that I need to do just from like real life experiences. Mm. That's uh, keeps you motivated. It does, man. You, you speak to it, kind of speaks to balance and making sure, even though you're on this journey, you're working your tail off to try and succeed, you got to think about other things in life because um, that, that'll make you better in the end, right? Right, yeah. right. But yeah. I, I hear, I hear an awful lot of resolve, you know. It's just, a, oh, yeah, a, you know, you, you know, this determination, this poise, this um, unrelenting you know, work ethic. It's, it's, it's wonderful, man. I want to ask you, you know, mm-hmm. what was the most, you know, what was the most difficult thing you, you over, you overcame and how did you overcome it? Hmm. That one's uh gosh, that's a tough one. And we haven't got uh, to medical school yet, but like, <laughs> it, 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 I mean, we talked about that, but um, yeah, I, just, you know, I had to ask. I mean, if I had to wax philosophical about it, I, I would say the most challenging thing wouldn't be a very obvious thing. And it, it's not something that's unique to me necessarily, but it's it's a perception thing. And it's a it's an implicit thing. It's, it's one that, you know, I, I'd say people of color uh, of all stripes face you know, in any, you know, professional academic environment that they're in is that you're, you're not really expected to do something. And, and, you know, that kind of implicit bias that exists, you know, that's kind of within the fabric of this country and it's an inescapable one. And, um, you know, this is probably a podcast for a different time to discuss um, in, in full detail, but that that kind of um, ubiquitous and omnipresent challenge that that one faces when they walk into a patient's room and they're met with, you know, a stare that you know, oh, you're not supposed to be here. You're not, mm-hmm. you know, you're not the doctor. You're not my doctor. Oh, yeah. You know that continues to, <laughs> to this day, right? But but you face it all along the way and you know Sadi had mentioned imposter syndrome that that would be kind of a cumulative challenge that I think was diffusely present throughout the entire process and um and cumulatively would be the biggest challenge that that's not unique to me um but a lot of people uh in our position so I, I would say that's one that that not only I face but 
a lot of us, if not all of us, face. You know, For sure, day. man. And it doesn't go away. It's uh, it's a, it's something that we face every day. And just, but I, you know, on the flip side of that, I will tell you, you know, I had an experience just on this past Friday where I walked into a bay to get consent from a patient, mm. and they looked at me and they looked at me and they looked at me and they turned their head and they said, "Well, you know what? I have to be honored. I'm honored." Cause I have never had an African American <laughs> male physician, wow. and I thought, now that is why I do it. You know, that is yep. why I push. That's why we push. And, exactly. But, you know, you get the looks, at, and it does. It does. It's not always who you think it's going to be. They look at you mm-hmm. like, really? Are you sure? You know, and you have to deal with the skepticism that is just. Right. Sometimes you just, you know, you want to shake some people. But anyways, back yeah. to you. <laughs> You know, that's fantastic. That's fantastic. Yeah. I, yeah. You know, I, I, I tell my wife, who's also a physician, um, sometimes when I have to make decisions on my own personal care, like I, I sometimes seek out, you know, um, African-American physicians only because I know the challenges that like we've faced and, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. that need to be twice as good to, you know, get half you know, as far. Same. Exactly. Exactly. So I, I, I know there's like a, there may be even a step up in quality, you know, based on the rigors that like we were alluding to. So right. I, uh, yeah, that's awesome yeah. that you experienced that. That's, yeah. Yeah. that's true, man. That's, that's, that's so real. And uh, it's kind of the reason we kind of do this too. Like, you know, like we know that the journey for us is different than the journey for other people. So, you know, we just want to make sure that we highlight like these things that are like happening and people like probably feeling this like in undergrad and in high school and, you know, this is, you're not alone. Like, if you're listening, like, these are people who are, like, you know, going through it. And, like, you're not alone going through it. You know, like, we've all been through it. We're all continuing to go through it. But you can still do it. You can still make it happen. So. For sure. And there's a need, a huge need. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so tell us. So, from Harvard, what did you do after that? So, I actually, um, just continuing with this theme of, you know, interest in, you know, my grandfather's case, like in cancer specifically, mm-hmm. I actually went to the NIH for a year. Um, mm, shout out, NIH. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I was in Bethesda, Maryland uh, at the surgery branch uh, of the NCI um, in, in Bethesda, nice. Maryland for a year mm-hmm. doing, doing research. Um, and we're working on a cancer model uh, in mice. And uh, that was my first introduction to imaging, actually, because we were putting these little mice into a small bore of a, a seven Tesla MRI magnet. And um, that's you know, cool. Yeah, it, was, it was really cool, actually. Yeah. Uh, I had no idea at the time that I'd pursue radiology as a yeah. career, but um, that was mm. my first. Yeah, so I keep, first. You keep the eyes open. So I keep your eyes exactly. open. Yep. Yeah. Exposure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. And uh, so from there, like, did you like you're still interested in medicine? Did you apply to medical school at that point? No, I I, I had not. So I, I was pre-med. Um, mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I think I was still flirting with uh, maybe with other career choices at that point. But I, I was pre-med. And by by my sophomore, junior year, I was I was definitely set on, on doing medicine. I did not apply for med schools um, my senior year. Like I, I think I'd made a plan to do this research year and then, mm-hmm. you know, apply to med schools during that year at that point. So. Very cool. Very cool. 
No, it's, it's important to take some time off. I feel like, you know, it's not necessarily time off, but just something, you know, to get away for a second. It's mm-hmm. important, you know, just to like kind of have some perspective on life. So that, that's really good for you. Now, did you feel like the year was, it was good for you? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it, it was, um, it, it was a moment to kind of step away from, you know, the, the continuous grind of school and, mm-hmm. you know, to clear my head and to, to really think about you know what what i was interested interested in and i think it's easy to you know stay on this track with blinders on and um you know just keep trudging ahead uh without without any real contemplation or thought of like what you're doing i I feel like this year gave me that moment to yeah to, to think about things and um you know i could have easily i think probably applied to to med school while in undergrad gone to med school and you know i feel like the the, the process would have would, would have always been ahead of me um and, and i'd have been chasing it and ended up in a field maybe that i wasn't interested in or or not as interested in as the one i'm in currently so so yeah it, it's Very certainly cool. helped uh, shape my path that's yeah. awesome that's awesome so I and mean, where'd you end up for uh medical school then so I went to the University of Michigan. Boom! Boom. <laughs> <laughs> expected, expected. No. Oh no, you know it's uh, it's all fun and games. You man. guys That's can't have it all. You can't have it all. <laughs> the past couple of years have been rough for you. I understand. Yeah, yeah just, man. Just a couple. Just a couple. <laughs> like all we all we have is football. You guys took it from us. It's not right. Oh wow. <laughs> it's just <Yeah>. not right. <laughs> Very cool. So, like, so you said you kind of got introduced to radiology before medical school. Now, did that interest kind of continue during medical school, or how did in you fact, get... it, you know, I I don't remember considering radiology even after that experience. I, I went to med school, and I think I was still thinking surgery. You know, as mm-hmm. I mentioned, you know, cardiothoracic and, and neurosurgery were were two um, mm, big doctors. Yeah, I, I don't even know if I appreciated them as big dog surgery, you know, back then. But you know, I certainly came to appreciate them as such, you know, when I when I did a couple of rotations. <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh, that's that's real. You know what? Like when you're when you when you're focused on something like that, competitive, you know, like it means you're going to kind of keep yourself motivated, keep your application really strong for whatever you end up applying for. Mm-hmm. So, like you know, if you can get into, you know cardiac you know cardiothoracic or neurosurgery that means you can get into any type of residency so like it, it's good just kind of have that application like ready for anything so that that's awesome right um so i went through the first two years you know of med school and you know th- that was a fairly rigorous experience you know primarily academic it was very at the time there wasn't significant clinical experience in the first two years mm-hmm. you know had to take step one of the boards um and then go to clinical rotations on the third year mm-hmm. and i would say the first two years may not be terribly different than like the you know the the pre-med experience it's, it's primarily like a didactic experience you're sitting in classrooms mm-hmm. and basically studying um you know, to take tests and right. very limited, like clinical applicability. Like you, even though you're studying to be a doctor, like, I don't know if you truly have like hands-on experience to know what it's like to be a doctor at that stage. 
you know, until and I know every med school is different the, the way they do it, but um, but we got our clinical exposure in our third year. Uh, things may have changed there uh, uh, since then, but that's mm-hmm. where we got the majority of our clinical exposure. And we, you know, did our standard rotations. And going through the third year, um, it was an interesting experience, but, uh, you know, including my surgery rotation um, and internal medicine rotation, they were all positive experiences, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't say anything really drew me you know, to, to any one particular field. And, and we didn't have many electives at that point either. So it was pretty hard. No time. Yeah. It was pretty hard to explore. So I ultimately did another year at the NIH between my third and fourth year of, uh, of med school, largely because, yeah, I, one, I didn't know what I wanted to do. Two, I, I don't know if my resume was, or I didn't know at the time if my resume really stood out that much and I, I felt like maybe I could bolster my resume by you know doing an additional year of research mm-hmm. and you know a, a very similar experience coming out of undergrad or two coming out of undergrad like I, I just didn't feel ready like I, I didn't feel ready to make that decision I you know there's some push and pull factors when you know making these decisions oh, oh, yeah. um, the, the push factors we rarely um refer to even in the application process, right? Like no one wants to admit that they didn't mm-hmm. like something because it has lifestyle consequences or mm-hmm. they just didn't <laughs> like it. Um, so we're kind of trained to, you know, speak about the positives and, and there were certainly positives, but, but when I did the surgery rotation, it wasn't something that appealed to me necessarily. Like it didn't feel like a, a fit. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I, I wasn't terribly enthused about applying to surgical specialties for residency. That's very mature of you. That's, 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 that's like, I'm very telling you. you. I want to uh... know, did you have a mentor? Like how, how did you make <laughs> yeah. these decisions to just stop? Uh, yeah, that's, I mean, most people would just apply for like surgery. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Give in to the pressure, right? Exactly. You didn't Maybe Maybe the push factors were that strong that I uh, <laughs> I couldn't yeah. see myself doing it. Maybe I, I I don't know. Um, maybe desperation. Maybe that's what it was. Like I, I was in a desperate mm-hmm. moment and I couldn't, you know, I couldn't see myself, you know, moving forward with the limited data that I had from a third year experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that's you know, again, that's mature to like know that that like you like you went through third year and like still felt like you had limited data because like. That's that's very mature again of you to like un, to like recognize that. Well, I appreciate you guys, man. You guys make me feel good about my. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I never true. felt this way before this podcast, but thank you. And how many people do we talk to? Would like literally be embarrassed if they didn't graduate with the folks that they started with, or right. if they felt pressure from the institution to finish. You know, you, you're supposed to be here for four years and get out of here. You're not supposed to, you know, take away. And get, and come back so you know the fact that you had that latitude and you took it and you didn't care what other people might have thought about it um you know i think it's great i mean i'm wondering if you had a mentor during this that that really helped helped you yeah you know i um i would say i had several mentors along the way none none of them formally such right like Mm -hmm. uh there are attendings that i had that I don't know if they would encourage me to do something like what I did, but there were certainly, they certainly fit that 
role or that mold of being a mentor because they uh, they shaped my my ultimate outcome. So I and with their mentorship, even though it wasn't in a formalized way, um, yeah, that that certainly certainly helped. That's great. Anybody you want to give a shout out to? Anybody yeah. in particular? Yeah, I don't know. Oh, Oh man! Um, in no particular order of importance, I uh, uh, there's a there's an internal medicine doc named Tom Sisson uh, at the University of Michigan. Uh, he yeah he 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 was very kind of instrumental in you know just kind of fostering a, a sense of confidence in me. Like I you know there's definitely a lot of periods of like self doubt and mm-hmm. you know that feeling like you don't belong type thing but like he he for some reason you know saw potential in me um i think he genuinely wanted me to become an internal medicine doc Mm. um and and that he's been a mentor and a a positive influence in my life to this day um there's yeah just an incredible human being um there's a a research mentor that i had between my first and second year of of med school his name's Kane Pryor. Um, he's a shout out. He's actually an anesthesiologist uh, at uh, at Cornell. Um, mm. He was also very, you know, I, I spent six weeks in his lab, and uh, he's definitely uh, instrumental in um, that's in kind awesome. of motivating and guiding my path. Uh, c- countless others. Um, Peter Choiki, he was uh, one of my mentors um, in my first year at uh, NIH. He, he's a radiologist himself, and mm. uh, I got a shout out. Oh. Definitely, yeah. oh, man! Like it's uh, it takes a village. Yes, it yeah. does. It yeah, does. Absolutely. It really does, man. So, so you're at NIH now, and uh, like, when does radiology start kind of popping up in your head? I guess. So it's it's interesting. I go back to the NIH and I I do a second project and this one also involved imaging. Um, I, I was doing MRI research on on stroke patients, and um, it was a very uh, once again I fell into a circumstance that involved imaging. Um, I, I didn't really highlight imaging as as one of my focuses. Uh, you know when I went to the NIH for that, that second round, but it involved imaging ultimately. And I, I spent the majority of the year looking at uh, brain MRIs and, um, mm. and, and revolved around that. And, you know, as I did that, I thought, wow, this is really cool and interesting. And, um, you know, I, I spent the year doing that and that started appealing to me and it was the first elective that I did when I you know I went back to fourth year mm-hmm. and uh and this felt like a fit but there was one moment at the NIH that I I actually um attribute to sealing the deal for me in radiology I I attended a lecture there by a guy named Brad Wood who's an interventional radiologist and he mm. was talking yeah he was talking about interventional oncology right like sticking mm. needles and tumors turning the temperature up and down on tumors freezing and oh. burning them and it's I travis's thought, world oh yeah oh, there it is yeah so that <laughs> was the razor's edge for me in, in medicine and i thought wow you know this is something that i have to pursue mm. uh, so i actually went back to school thinking 
I would do interventional radiology. Like I wanted to do what that guy was talking about during these lectures. And uh, (laughs) so, so the past, the path to that was diagnostic radiology. So I would made my decision at that point. That's what Mm -hmm. I was going to pursue. And, and then I went back to med school to complete my fourth year with that focus in mind. That's awesome. Awesome. Man, Man, what happened? I'm like, (laughs) (laughs) you got to tell us what happened. How'd you, how'd you lose your way? (laughs) (laughs) So I applied to these diagnostic radiology residency programs, um, you know, thinking I'd, I'd go through diagnostic radiology and then do a fellowship in interventional, but similar to my experience in med school, once I got to radiology residency, there were all these options once again. Yes, yes, yes. And mm-hmm. uh, those same push and pull factors, you know, started factoring in. But like now, you know, the focus is obviously very narrow. Mm-hmm. And um, I had this experience in my first year on the breast imaging rotation. And uh, mm-hmm. I, I went to NYU for radiology residency. And awesome. a large part of our rotations, oh, thank you. A large part of those rotations are spent at Bellevue Hospital, the largest public receiving hospital in, in New York City. And mm. you're, as, as a resident, you're given a lot of autonomy uh, on those rotations. And here I found myself, it was at the end of the first year uh, of my residency, and given this autonomy within, you know, breast imaging, and there are a lot of uh, non-English speaking patients that come through Bellevue Hospital, and mm-hmm. you're, you're charged with, you know, communicating with these patients, so I had to pick up the translation phone, I had to find that obscure Chinese dialect, you know, that was, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, on several drop down menus to communicate with a particular patient, uh, Mm -hmm. my recommendation for a biopsy, then I would go perform that biopsy. And, you know, we had cytopathology available to us. So sometimes I was breaking bad news to patients real time. Mm -hmm. And I had to, you know, get back on that, you know, translation phone, find, you know, that dialect and then communicate with this patient. So once again, here I was with a very hands-on experience, you know, challenged with like uh, being present, you know, being in the moment and doing procedures in, you know, a field that kind of focused on the disease process that started this entire journey out. And, Full circle, you know, yeah. Wow. Yeah, here I was breaking bad news to to patients who ultimately were extremely grateful for, for my care. Mm-hmm. And I, I remember a lot of those experiences ended with, you know, hugs. It's awesome. This is like the rarest of things, hugs and radiology. That's, that's... I'm telling you. So tell us, so, so what do you do day to day now? Okay, so on a day to day basis, I do exclusively breast imaging. I am uh, the medical director of breast imaging at Breastlink um, Tarzana, uh, which is just outside of Los Angeles. Awesome, and, awesome. Yeah, uh, man, that's awesome. Uh, thank you. So I work for a, a company, um, Radnet, which is one of, or if not the largest outpatient imaging um, company in the country. And yeah, world uh, famous. Yeah, I don't know if the world, well, world's famous, but uh, I love at least it. Na- nationally known, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. 
And uh, yeah, I do exclusively breast imaging. So I, I still see patients clinically. Um, and, you know, it's essentially an eight to five obligation, uh, no calls, no weekends. And uh, I'm doing everything under the sun uh, as it relates to breast imaging, you know, reading screening mammograms, diagnostic mammograms and ultrasounds and doing the image guided procedures associated with those, as well as reading breast MRIs, doing, you know, MRI guided biopsies and so forth. So yeah, that's, that's what I do on a daily basis with, um, with some administrative responsibilities as well on top of that. I love it. You're, you're still at Bellevue basically. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh, effectively. Yeah. <laughs> Very cool, man. Well, we really appreciate you doing this with us. And, you know, we'll get you out of here on this last question. Though. So now yeah. I feel like you're like, Dantich, you know, you can't be sped up. You're just going to go at your own pace, do what you need to do, <laughs> which is awesome. So, like, what would you tell someone who's kind of going through, like, the whole process and, like, having a d difficult time, like a student who's, like, in it? I... I mean, I would say, you know, first and foremost, find out if this is something that they're truly interested uh, and passionate about doing. Um, I, I think the passion for doing something can be all the motivating force that you need to overcome some of the obstacles that are certainly going to be encountered along the way. So, you know, if it requires one to step back you know, find one's motivation or passion in mm -hmm. order to pursue it. I, I think that would be a critical step, you know, in that process, because if, if you lose that motivation and you lose that passion, um, the road is potentially way too arduous and uh, too overwhelming to, to kind of overcome and, and, and to carry it out without said motivation. So I, well said, well uh, said. Yeah, thanks, man. No, that's uh, that's true. It just takes a level of maturity, man. You gotta know yourself before you can like know what you want to do. So that's that, that makes all the most sense. So we love it, man. We really appreciate you, uh, you know, taking the time out and doing this with us, man. This is awesome. Well, thank you so much for having me. You know, like I said before we started recording, you guys make me feel special. You know, it's the first time ah. in my life. Hey, because you are, man. <laughs> you are. You are. And we'll all those and, now, yeah. and those that have come before you to get you where you are and doing what you're doing. I, I just I'm I'm in awe and I'm I'm so fortunate to be able to talk to you about your journey and and, and be inspired. Point, uh, point blank in the period. Absolutely. Yeah. And like you're you're talking to like, you know, you're 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 delivering like you're like a cancer doctor. I mean, you're basically a cancer doctor who is, uh, you know, affecting patient lives every day, you know, trying to get them situated, make sure people are getting, like, the right treatment. So, you know, like, coaching out here, it's, it's awesome, man. So, There's a hell of a hell of a lot of compassion coming from you. And most people think radiologists don't have that. But mm -hmm, I, mm -hmm. I, can, I, I, I can sense it that you, you genuinely care for your patients and you put in your best effort to help. And even those that you don't see, you know, mm -hmm, and, mm -hmm. uh, in the community. So it's great. Yeah. Well, I pre I appreciate you guys, you know, even considering me for an opportunity like this, and um, you know, having me tell my story. I, I really appreciate that. I wish I had this resource when I was going through the process. I'm, I'm sure it would have been an invaluable one for me. Uh, but no, we love it. Should hopefully benefit from this. So thank you guys for doing that. No um, problem. No problem. No thank problem. you for being so honest about your whole journey and. Uh, 
appreciate it. And thanks everyone for listening. And yes, um, yes till next time, stay low and keep, keep firing. Fire. Please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes or wherever you get your pods. That yeah. wasn't me talking. That was a was an artificial intelligent chat. <laughs> chat. <laughs> yeah, we're trying yeah. to get the algorithm so where we can just have like AI produce the whole uh, <laughs> the whole podcast. <laughs>